Old Father Christmas by J. H. Ewing. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michael Max. Old Father Christmas. Can you fancy, young people, said Godfather Garble, winking his prominent eyes and moving his feet backwards and forwards in his square shoes, so that you could hear the squeak-leather half a room off. Can you fancy my having been a very little boy and having a godmother? But I had, and she sent me presents on my birthdays too, and young people did not get presents when I was a child as they get them now. Rump. We had not half so many toys as you have, but we kept them twice as long. I think we were fonder of them too, though they were neither so handsome nor so expensive as these new-fangled affairs you were always breaking about the house. Rump. You see, middle-class folk were more saving then. My mother turned and dyed her dresses and when she had done with them, the servant was very glad to have them. But, bless me, your mother's maids dress so much finer than their mistress, I do not think they would say thank you for her best Sunday silk. The bustle's the wrong shape. Rumph. What's that you are laughing at, little miss? It's pannier, is it? Well, well, bustle or pannier, call it what you like but only donkeys wore panniers in my young days, and many's the ride I've had in them. Now, as I say, my relations and friends thought twice before they pulled out five shillings in a toy shop, but they didn't forget me all the same. On my eighth birthday my mother gave me a bright blue comforter of her own knitting, my little sister gave me a ball. My mother had cut out the divisions from various bits in the rag-bag, and my sister had done some of the seaming. It was stuffed with bran, and had a cork inside, which had broken from old age, and could no longer fit the pickle-jar it belonged to. This made the ball bound when we played Prisoner's Bass. My father gave me the broken driving-whip that had lost the lash and an old pair of his gloves to play coachman with. These I had longed wished for, since next to sailing in a ship, in my ideas, came the honour and glory of driving a coach. My whole soul, I must tell you, was set upon being a sailor. In those days, I had rather put to sea once on Farmer Fodder's duck-pond than ride twice atop of his hay-wagon, and between the smell of the hay and the softness of it, and the height you are up above other folk, and the danger of tumbling off if you don't look out, for hay is elastic as well as soft, you don't easily beat a ride on a hay-wagon for pleasure. But... As I say, I'd rather put to sea on the duck-pond, though the best craft I could borrow was the pigsty door, and a pole to punt with, 
and the village boys jeering when I got aground, which was most of the time. Besides the duck pond never having a wave on it worth the name, punt as you would, and so shallow you could not have got drowned in it to save your life. You're laughing now, little master, are you? But let me tell you that drowning's the death for a sailor, whatever you may think. So I've always maintained, and have given every navigable sea in the known world a chance, though here I am, after all, laid up in armchairs and featherbeds to await for bronchitis or some other slow poison. Grumph! Well, we must all go as we're called, sailors or landsmen, and as I was saying, if I was never to sail a ship, I would have liked to drive a coach, a mail coach, serving His Majesty, Her Majesty now, God bless her, carrying the royal arms and bound to go, rough weather and fair. Many's the time I've done it, in play, you understand, with that whip and those gloves. Dear, dear, the pains I took to teach my sister Patty to be a highwayman and jump out on me from the drying grand hedge in the dusk with a stand and deliver, which she couldn't get out of her throat for fright and wouldn't jump hard enough for fear of hurting me. The whip and the gloves gave me joy, I can tell you, but there was more to come. Kitty, the servant, gave me a shell that she had had by her for years. How I had coveted that shell! It had this remarkable property. When you put it to your ear you could hear the roaring of the sea. I had never seen the sea, but Kitty was born in a fisherman's cottage, and many an hour have I sat by the kitchen fire whilst she told me strange stories of the mighty ocean, and ever and anon she would snatch the shell from the mantelpiece and clap it to my ear, crying, There, child, you couldn't hear it plainer than that. It's the very moral. When Kitty gave me that shell for my very own, I felt that life had little more to offer. I held it to every ear in the house, including the cats, and, seeing Dick the sexton's son go by with an armful of straw to stuff Guy Fawkes, I ran out, and, in my anxiety to make him share the treat and learn what the sea is like, I clapped the shell to his ear so smartly and unexpectedly that he, thinking me to have struck him, knocked me down there and then with his bundle of straw. When he understood the rights of the case, he begged my pardon handsomely, and gave me two whole treacle-sticks and part of a third out of his breeches pocket, in return for which I forgave him freely and promised to let him hear the sea roar on every Saturday half-holiday till further notice. And, speaking of Dick and the Straw, reminds me that my birthday falls on the 5th of November. From this it came about that I had always to bear a good many jokes about being burnt as Guy Fawkes. 
but on the other hand I was allowed to make a small bonfire of my own, and to have eight potatoes to roast therein, and eight pennies of crackers to let off in the evening. A potato and a pennies of crackers for every year of my life. On this eighth birthday, having got all the above-named gifts, I cried in the fullness of my heart, there never was such a day. And yet there was more to come, for the evening coach brought me a parcel, and the parcel was my godmother's picture book. My godmother was a gentlewoman of small means, but she was accomplished. She could make very spirited sketches, and knew how to colour them after they were outlined and shaded in Indian ink. She had a pleasant talent for versifying. She was very industrious. I have it from her own lips that she copied the figures in my picture-book from prints in several different houses at which she visited. They were fancy portraits of characters, most of which were familiar to my mind. There were Guy Fawkes, Punch, his then Majesty the King, Bogey, the Man in the Moon, the Clerk of the Weather Office, a Dunce, and Old Father Christmas. Beneath each sketch was a stanza of my godmother's own composing. My godmother was very ingenious. She had been mainly guided in her choice of these characters by the prince she happened to meet with, as she did not trust herself to design a figure. But if she could not get exactly what she wanted, she had a clever knack of tracing an outline of the attitude from some engraving, and altering the figure to suit her purpose in the finished sketch. She was the soul of truthfulness, and the note she added to the index of contents in my picture-book spoke at once for her honesty in avowing obligations, and her ingenuity in availing herself of opportunities. They ran thus. Number 1. Guy Fawkes. Outlined from a figure of a warehouseman rolling a sherry cask into Mr. Rudd's wine vaults. I added the hat, cloak, and boots in the finished drawing. Number 2. Punch. I sketched him from the life. Number 3. His Most Gracious Majesty the King, on a court jug bought in Cheapside. Number 4. Bogey, with bad boys in the bag on his back. Outlined from a Christian, bending under his burden, in my mother's old copy of The Pilgrim's Progress. The face from Giant Despair. Number 5 and Number 6 the man in the moon, and the clerk of the weather office, from a book of caricatures belonging to Dr. James. Number seven, a dunce, from a steel engraving framed in rosewood that hangs in my uncle Wilkinson's parlour. Number eight, old father Christmas, from a German book at Lady Littleham's. My sister Patty was six years old, we loved each other dearly. The picture-book was almost as much hers as mine. 
We sat so long together on one big footstool by the fire, with our arms round each other and the book resting on our knees, that Kitty called down blessings on my godmother's head for having sent a volume that kept us both so long out of mischief. "'If books was Alice as useful as that, they do for me,' said she. And though this speech did not mean much, it was a great deal for Kitty to say, since, not being herself an educated person, she naturally thought that little enough good comes of learning. Patty and I had our favourites amongst the pictures. Bogey now was a character one did not care to think about too near bedtime. I was tired of Guy Fawkes and thought that he looked more natural made of straw, as Dick did him. The dunce was a little too personal, but old Father Christmas took our hearts by storm. We had never seen anything like him, though nowadays you may get a plaster figure of him in any toy shop at Christmas time, with hair and beard like cotton wool and a Christmas tree in his hand. The custom of Christmas trees came from Germany. I can remember when they were first introduced into England, and what wonderful things we thought them. Now every village school has its tree, and the scholars openly discuss whether the presents have been good or mean as compared with other trees of former years. The first one that I ever saw I believed to have come from the good Father Christmas himself, but little boys have grown too wise now to be taken in for their own amusement. They are not excited by secret and mysterious preparations in the back drawing-room. They hardly confess to the thrill, which I feel to this day, when the folding doors are thrown open, and, amid the blaze of tapers, Mamma, like a fate, advances with her scissors to give everyone what falls to his lot. Well, young people, when I was eight years old, I had not seen a Christmas tree, and the first picture of one I ever saw was the picture of that held by old Father Christmas in my godmother's picture book. What are those things on the tree? I asked. Candles, said my father. No, father, not the candles, the other things. Those are toys, my son. Are they ever taken off? Yes, they are taken off, and given to the children who stand round the tree. Patty and I grasped each other by the hand, and with one voice murmured, How kind of old Father Christmas! By and by I asked, How old is old Father Christmas? My father laughed and said, One thousand eight hundred and thirty years, child which was then the year of our Lord, and thus one thousand eight hundred and thirty years since the first great Christmas day. "'He looks very old,' whispered Patty. And I, who was for my age what Kitty called Bible-learned, said thoughtfully, and with some puzzledness of mind, "'Then he's older than Methuselah.' 
but my father had left the room and did not hear my difficulty. November and December went by, and still the picture-book kept all its charm for Patty and me, and we pondered on and loved old Father Christmas as children can love and realise a fancy friend. To those who remember the fancies of their childhood, I need say no more. Christmas week came, Christmas Eve came. My father and mother were mysteriously and unaccountably busy in the parlour. We only had one parlour, and Patty and I were not allowed to go in. We went into the kitchen, but even here was no place of rest for us. Kitty was all over the place, as she phrased it, and cakes, mince pies and puddings were with her. As she justly observed, there was no place there for children and books to sit with their toes in the fire when a body wanted to be at the oven all along. The cat was enough for her temper, she added. As to Puss, who obstinately refused to take a hint which drove her out into the Christmas frost, she returned again and again with soft steps, and a stupidity that was, I think, affected to the warm hearth, only to fly at intervals like a football before Kitty's hasty slipper. We had more sense, or less courage. We bowed to Kitty's behests and went to the back door. Patty and I were hardy children, and accustomed to run out in all weathers without much extra wrapping up. We put Kitty's shawl over our two heads and went outside. I rather hoped to see something of Dick, for it was holiday time, but no Dick passed. He was busy helping his father to bore holes in the carved seats of the church, which were to hold sprigs of holly for the morrow. That was the idea of church decoration in my young days. You have improved on your elders there, young people, and I am candid enough to allow it. Still, the sprigs of red and green were better than nothing, and, like your lovely wreaths and pious devices, they made one feel as if the old black wood were bursting into life and leaf again for very Christmas joy. And, if one only knelt carefully, they did not scratch his nose, added Godfather Garble, chuckling and rubbing his own, which was large and rather red. Well, he continued, Dick was busy and not to be seen. We ran across the little yard and looked over the wall at the end to see if we could see anything or anybody. From this point there was a pleasant meadow field sloping prettily away to a little hill about three quarters of a mile distance, which, catching some fine breezes from the moors beyond, was held to be a place of cure for whooping cough, or kink cough, as it was vulgarly called. Up to the top of this Kitty had dragged me, and carried Patty, when we were recovering from the complaint, as I well remember. It was the only change of air we could afford, 
and I dare say it did as well as if we had gone into badly drained lodgings at the seaside. This hill was now covered with snow and stood off against the grey sky. The white fields looked vast and dreary in the dusk. The only gay things to be seen were the red berries on the holly hedge in the little lane, which, running by the end of our backyard, led up to the hall, and a fat robin redbreast who was staring at me. I was watching the robin when Patty, who had been peering out of the corner of Kitty's shawl, gave a great jump that dragged the shawl from our heads and cried, Look! I looked. An old man was coming along the lane. His hair and beard were white as cotton wool. He had a face like the sort of apple that keeps well in winter. His coat was old and brown. There was snow about him in patches, and he carried a small fir tree. The same conviction seized upon us both. With one breath we exclaimed, It's old Father Christmas! I know now that it was only an old man of the place with whom we did not happen to be acquainted, and that he was taking a little fir tree up to the hall to be made into a Christmas tree. He was a very good-humoured old fellow and rather deaf, for which he made up by smiling and nodding his head a good deal and saying, Hi, hi, to be sure, at likely intervals. As he passed us and met our earnest gaze, he smiled and nodded so affably that I was bold enough to cry, "'Good evening, Father Christmas!' "'Same to you,' said he, in a high-pitched voice. "'Then you are Father Christmas,' said Patty. "'And a happy new year,' was Father Christmas's reply, which rather put me out but he smiled in such a satisfactory manner that Patty went on. "'You're very old, aren't you?' "'So I be, miss, so I be,' said Father Christmas, nodding. "'Father says you're eight hundred and thirty years old,' I muttered. "'Aye, aye, to be sure,' said Father Christmas. "'I'm a long age.' "'A very long age,' thought I, and I added, you're nearly twice as old as Methuselah, you know, thinking that this might not have struck him. Aye, aye, said Father Christmas, but he did not seem to think anything of it. After a pause he held up the tree and cried, Do you know what this is, little miss? A Christmas tree, said Patty, and the old man smiled and nodded. I leant over the wall and shouted, but there are no candles. By and by, said Father Christmas, nodding as before. When it's dark, they'll all be lighted up. That'll be a fine sight. Toys, too, they'll be, won't there? screamed Patty. Father Christmas nodded his head. And, sweeties, he added, expressively. I could feel Patty trembling and my own heart beat fast. The thought which agitated us both was this. Was Father Christmas bringing the tree to us? 
but very anxiety and some modesty also kept us from asking outright. Only when the old man shouldered his tree and prepared to move on, I cried in despair, Oh, are you going? I'm coming back by and by, said he. How soon? cried Patty. About four o'clock, said the old man, smiling. I'm only going up yonder. And, nodding and smiling as he went, he passed away down the lane. Up yonder? This puzzled us. Father Christmas had pointed, but so indefinitely that he might have been pointing to the sky or the fields or the little wood at the end of the squire's grounds. I thought the latter, and suggested to Patty that perhaps he had some place underground, like Aladdin's cave where he got the candles and all the pretty things for the tree. This idea pleased us both, and we amused ourselves by wondering what old Father Christmas would choose for us from his stores in that wonderful hole where he dressed his Christmas trees. "'I wonder, Patty,' said I, "'why there's no picture of Father Christmas's dog in the book?' For at the old man's heels in the lane there crept a little brown and white spaniel, looking very dirty in the snow. "'Perhaps it's a new dog that he's got to take care of his cave,' said Patty. When we went indoors we examined the picture afresh by the dim light from the passage window, but there was no dog there. My father passed us at this moment and patted my head. "'Father,' said I, "'I don't know.' but I do think old Father Christmas is going to bring us a Christmas tree tonight. Who's been telling you that? said my father. But he passed on before I could explain that we had seen Father Christmas himself, and had had his word for it that he would return at four o'clock, and that the candles on his tree would be lighted as soon as it was dark. We hovered on the outskirts of the room till four o'clock came. We sat on the stairs and watched the big clock, which I was just learning to read, and Patty made herself giddy with constantly looking up and counting the four strokes towards which the hour hand slowly moved. We put our noses into the kitchen now and then to smell the cakes and get warm, and anon we hung about the parlour door, and were most unjustly accused of trying to peep. What did we care what our mother was doing in the parlour, we who had seen old Father Christmas himself, and were expecting him back again every moment? At last the church clock struck. The sounds boomed heavily through the frost, and Patty thought, that there were four of them. Then, after due choking and whirring, our own clock struck, and we counted the strokes quite clearly. One, two, three, four. Then we got Kitty's shawl once more, and stole out into the backyard. We ran to our old place and peeped, but could see nothing. We'd better get up onto the wall, I said and with some 
difficulty and distress from rubbing her bare knees against the cold stones and getting the snow up her sleeves, Patty got on the coping of the little wall. I was just struggling after her when something warm and something cold coming suddenly against the bare calves of my legs made me shriek with fright. I came down with a run and bruised my knees, my elbows and my chin, and the snow that hadn't gone up Patty's sleeves went down my neck. Then I found that the cold thing was a dog's nose, and the warm thing was his tongue, and Patty cried from her post of observation, "'It's Father Christmas's dog, and he's licking your legs!' It really was the dirty little brown and white spaniel, and he persisted in licking me and jumping on me and making curious little noises that must have meant something if one had known his language. I was rather harassed at the moment. My legs were sore. I was a little afraid of the dog, and Patty was very much afraid of sitting on the wall without me. "'You won't fall,' I said to her. "'Get down, will you?' I said to the dog. "'Humpty Dumpty fell off a wall,' said Patty. "'Bow wow,' said the dog. I pulled Patty down, and the dog tried to pull me down. But when my little sister was on her feet, to my relief, he transferred his attentions to her. When he had jumped at her and licked her several times, he turned round and ran away.' "'He's gone,' I said. "'I'm so glad.' But even as I spoke he was back again, crouching at Patty's feet and glaring at her with eyes the colour of his ears. Now, Patty was very fond of animals, and when the dog looked at her, she looked at the dog, and then she said to me, "'He wants us to go with him.' On which... As if he understood our language, although we were ignorant of his, the spaniel sprang away and went off as hard as he could, and Patty and I went after him, a dim hope crossing my mind. Perhaps Father Christmas has sent him for us. This idea was rather favoured by the fact that the dog led us up the lane. Only a little way, then he stopped by something lying in the ditch. And once more we cried in the same breath, It's old Father Christmas! Returning from the hall, the old man had slipped upon a bit of ice and lay stunned in the snow. Patty began to cry. I think he's dead, she sobbed. He's so very old, I don't wonder, I murmured. But perhaps he's not. I'll fetch father. My father and Kitty were soon on the spot. Kitty was as strong as a man, and they carried Father Christmas between them into the kitchen. There he quickly revived. I must do Kitty the justice to say that she did not utter a word of complaint at this disturbance of her labours, and that she drew the old man's chair close up to the oven with her own hand, she was so much affected by the behaviour of his dog that she admitted him even to the hearth, on which Puss, being acute enough to see how matters stood, lay down with her back so close to the spaniels 
that Kitty could not expel one without kicking both. For our parts, we felt sadly anxious about the tree, otherwise we could have wished for no better treat than to sit at Kitty's round table taking tea with Father Christmas. Our usual fare of thick bread and treacle was tonight exchanged for a delicious variety of cakes, which were none the worse to us for being tasters and wasters, that is, little bits of dough or shortbread put in to try the state of the oven, and certain cakes that had got broken or burnt in the baking. Well, there we sat, helping old Father Christmas to tea and cake, and wondering in our hearts what could have become of the tree. But you see, young people, when I was a child, parents were stricter than they are now. Even before Kitty died, and she has been dead many a long year, there was a change, and she said that children got to think anything became them. I think we were taught more honest shame about certain things than I often see in little boys and girls now. We were ashamed of boasting or being greedy or selfish. We were ashamed of asking for anything that was not offered to us, and of interrupting grown-up people or talking about ourselves. Why, papas and mamas nowadays seem quite proud to let their friends see how bold and greedy and talkative their children can be. A lady said to me the other day, "'You wouldn't believe, Mr. Garble, how forward dear little Harry is for his age. He has his word in everything, and is not a bit shy. And his papa never comes home from town, but Harry runs to ask if he's brought him a present. Papa says he'll be the ruin of him.' "'Madam,' said I, even without your word for it, I am quite aware that your child is forward. He is forward and greedy and intrusive, as you justly point out, and I wish you joy of him when those qualities are fully developed. I think his father's fears are well founded. But, bless me, nowadays it's Come and tell Mrs. Smith what a fine boy you are, and how many houses you can build with your bricks. Or, the dear child wants everything he sees. Or, little pet never lets Mamma alone for a minute, does she, love? But in my young days it was, self-praise is no recommendation, as Kitty used to tell me. Or, you're knocking too hard at number one as my father said when we talked about ourselves, or little boys should be seen but not heard, as a rule of conduct in company, or don't ask for what you want, but take what's given you and be grateful. And so you see, young people, Patty and I felt a delicacy in asking old Father Christmas about the tree, it was not until we had had tea three times round with tasters and wasters to match that Patty said very gently, It's quite dark now. And then she heaved a great sigh. Burning anxiety overcame me. I leant towards Father Christmas and shouted. I had found out that it was needful to shout. 
I suppose the candles are on the tree now. Just about putting of them on, said Father Christmas. And the presents too, said Petty. Aye, aye, to be sure, said Father Christmas, and he smiled delightfully. I was thinking what further questions I might venture upon, when he pushed his cup towards Patty, saying, Since you are so pressing, miss, I'll take another dish. And Kitty, swooping on us from the oven, cried, Make yourself at home, sir. There's more where these came from. Make a long arm, Miss Patty, and hand them cakes. So we had to devote ourselves to the duties of the table, and Patty, holding the lid with one hand and pouring with the other, supplied Father Christmas's wants with a heavy heart. At last he was satisfied. I said grace, during which he stood, and indeed he stood for some time afterwards with his eyes shut, I fancy under the impression that I was still speaking. He had just said a fervent Amen, and reseated himself, when my father put his head into the kitchen and made this remarkable statement. Old Father Christmas has sent a tree to the young people. Patty and I uttered a cry of delight, and we forthwith danced around the old man, saying, Oh, how nice! Oh, how kind of you! Which I think must have bewildered him, but he only smiled and nodded. Come along, said my father. Come, children. Come, Reuben. Come, Kitty. And he went into the parlour, and we all followed him. My godmother's picture of a Christmas tree was very pretty, and the flames of the candles were so naturally done in red and yellow that I always wondered that they did not shine at night, but the picture was nothing to the reality. We had been sitting almost in the dark, for, as Kitty said, firelight was quite enough to burn at meal-times. And when the parlour door was thrown open, and the tree, with lighted tapers on all the branches, burst upon our view, the blaze was dazzling, and through such a glory ran the little gifts, and the bags of coloured muslin with acid drops, and pink rose drops, and comforts inside, as I shall never forget. We all got something, and Patty and I, at any rate, believed that the things came from the stores of old Father Christmas. We were not undeceived, even by his gratefully accepting a bundle of old clothes, which had been hastily put together to form his present. We were all very happy, even Kitty, I think, though she kept her sleeves rolled up, and seemed rather to grudge enjoying herself, a weak point in some energetic characters. She went back to her oven before the lights were out, and the angel on the top of the tree was taken down. She locked up her present, a little workbox, at once. She often showed it off afterwards, but it was kept in the same bit of tissue paper till she died. Our present certainly did not last so long. The old man died about a week afterwards, so we never made his acquaintance as a common personage. 
When he was buried, his little dog came to us. I suppose he remembered the hospitality he had received. Patty adopted him, and he was very faithful. Puss always looked on him with favour. I hoped, during our rambles together in the following summer, that he would lead us at last to the cave where the Christmas trees are dressed. But he never did. Our parents often spoke of his late master as Old Reuben. But children are not easily disabused of a favourite fancy. And in Patty's thoughts, and in mine, the old man was long gratefully remembered as Old Father Christmas. End of Old Father Christmas by J. H. Ewing